Good morning. My name is Gretchen Wilson, and I'll be reading some selected passages from Proverbs. And there, the first one is to husbands, a Proverbs 5, 15 to 20. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be your own, yours, yours alone. Never be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? And this one's to wives, Proverbs 31, 10 to 12, 29 to 31. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done, and let her works pre bring her praise at the city gates. And this is to parents, Proverbs 22, 6, 29, 15. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. A rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. And to children, Proverbs 1, 8 and 9. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head, and a chain to adorn your neck. Would you pray with me once again? Father, we are grateful for your word. It is a light into our path, a guide for our feet. Father, we pray that through your spirit you would soften our hearts to receive it as such and to embrace it and to live it. Thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, it was a couple months ago, uh, I was sitting on the couch, and my youngest son, Luke, comes bounding up the stairs from the basement, extremely excited. Now, my son, Luke, is uh, quite an artist. He loves art. He loves drawing, uh, especially anything related to sports and especially team logos and things like that. And he had reached out to a famous graphic artist, designer, artist, something named Matt Claiborne, uh, who does a lot of things for sports teams and famous athletes. And he had asked him advice about graphic art and how to get into it and how to improve. And he had received a reply back. And he was thrilled that this, this gentleman who's at the top of his field and does all the things that my son would want to do as a 12, 13-year-old, reached out and, and kind of noticed him and appreciated what he was doing and offered advice. 
The past couple weeks, as I've been reading through Proverbs and looking at all the passages related to family, husbands, wives, parents, children, I had that same kind of feeling that someone so important would take notice of me and my family and care. I, throughout Scripture, we know that God cares about cosmic things, the movements of stars and planets and the affairs of the globe. But in the wisdom literature, you see that he's also concerned about what happens under my roof. We know that he's concerned about governments and the rise and fall of nations and states. And he's concerned about my little family of five. He cares about kings and queens and me and my wife. He takes notice of armies and my little army of three boys. Family matters. Family matters to God. Aristotle said that there is no society without family. Family is the primary unit of society. So it makes sense that God would care about family because he cares about society. Striking a slightly different note, the novelist Pat Conroy said that when a family dissolves and breaks apart, a tiny, unique civilization dies with it. God cares about big civilizations and the little civilization, the little culture in my home. And so as we read through Proverbs, even Ecclesiastes, and certainly Song of Solomon, we see that God offers counsel to help families function properly, to help them become happy and joyful and places that display the wisdom of God and bring him glory. This morning as we walk through several passages that Gretchen read and several others, we'll see that there's something well for everyone, for husbands, wives, parents, and children, because God cares about all of our family relationships. And we start with, with husbands. And one of the key teachings in Proverbs and in other wisdom literature is that the primary responsibility of a husband to his wife is to be faithful. To be faithful. Proverbs continually warns against falling into the trap of another man's wife, of going to a prostitute, of following a wayward woman, and other such language. Throughout Proverbs, you see two kinds of appeals that are made. One is to what is right, what is morally right. Appeals to kind of the law of God. You see those somewhat in the wisdom literature, but not nearly as much as the second kind of argument, the second kind of appeal as to what's beneficial. Certainly it is against God's law that a husband would betray his wife's trust. But it's also not beneficial. It's harmful to the husband and to the family. And that's what we see throughout the book of Proverbs. For example, in chapter 5, 
Verse 3, the husband is warned not to trade the life of genuine intimacy for the fleeting pleasure of a sexual encounter. We're told that the, the lips of the other woman might seem to drip honey, but it will turn to wormwood into gall. It might seem sweet initially, but it turns to poison. But, the proverb says, the waters of your wife, they're good, they're sweet, they're healthy, they're flowing. Stay there and drink water from your own cistern, your own well. Chapter 6 says and warns, don't lust after the other woman in your heart. Don't let your eyes be captivated by the other woman. If you do, shame will follow. Proverbs 6.30 says that men don't despise someone who steals bread because they're hungry. But to steal another man's wife, that shame will follow you the rest of your life. And the, the warnings get ratcheted up when you get to chapter 7. The, the author of the proverb says that the man who follows the wicked woman, the wayward woman, into her chamber is like an ox being led to slaughter, a deer caught in a noose, a bird trapped in a snare. And so the appeal is, do not be seduced by the other woman. It will cost you your honor, it will bring you guilt, cost you intimacy that is genuine, and bring ruin. Just pause there for a moment. We, we covered a lot of material, very, very briefly. Pause there for a moment, and let that sit with us. What is it teaching us as men, as, as husbands? Well, in general, as the church. One of the consistent messages throughout all of Scripture, and especially in the wisdom literature, is that sex is a beautiful, good thing in the context of a committed and faithful relationship between a husband and wife. Outside of that context, it brings ruin. It brings harm. It is not beneficial. It is damaging. Think about how culture has flipped the script entirely on that. And tried to sell us the bill of goods that sexlessness is far more damaging than promiscuity. Than sex outside the bounds of marriage. Here we're called to, a, I think, an act of faith, to believing that what God's word and God's wisdom says is true rather than what our culture would have us believe. But we see more than that in these passages. I think we also see that, that marriage is something bigger, something more important, something more dear than just sex. Uh, in our culture, we, we've turn sexuality into an idol, if I'm honest. If there's a phrase that I wish we could strike from our vocabulary, it would be sex lives. 
Because I think that elevates one aspect of marriage to be more important than it really ought to be. It is important, but to give it its own life is to invest it with more importance than it ought to have. Joy and pleasure and the rejoicing that we're called to in marriage is rejoicing in the other person, not just the other person as an object to fulfill your sexual passions. Now all of that so far has been seeming, seemed fairly negative, right? Don't do this, don't do this, here's the negative repercussions if you do. Proverbs has something positive to say to husbands also. It's not just don't do this, but do. Do treat your wife like your crown. Proverbs 12.4 says that a woman of noble character is a husband's crown. Or Proverbs 31 that was read. An excellent wife is like a rare jewel, a ruby. Husbands, it, it goes beyond just being faithful to treating our wives as the gift from God that they are. Faithfulness is, is the baseline. The rest of it doesn't kind of matter if you're not faithful. It's necessary, but it's not the sum total of what's required of husbands. Treat our wives like the gift of God that they are. But shift now, and I get to talk to wives. My wife's not here, so I can say anything I want without danger of having to sleep on the couch. But wives, what is required of you? What does God offer to you as counsel and wisdom? I think first and most essentially, focus on character. Be a wife of noble character, of excellence, of prudence. That call comes all throughout the book of Proverbs, especially Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 is just a gold mine for wives. You want to know what God considers a virtuous, godly woman? Look at Proverbs 31. The woman is industrious. She goes to the market and sells her wares. She cares for her household. She seeks the good of her husband and her children. Financially, spiritually, she sees a, a, a field and buys it because it's a good investment. She's involved in the, the financial affairs of her family. She's serving. She's kind and generous in her dealings with the poor. She speaks wisdom and gentleness. And she's praised by her husband and children. I don't praise my wife nearly as much as I ought to. Especially up here. I usually make fun of her up here. When I remember the first time we were ever buying furniture together. 
uh, as a husband and wife, uh, the salesman told us that we frickin' frack well. I didn't know what that meant, but he meant we bicker and jab at each other well and have fun kind of poking fun at it. We do that well, but I don't praise my wife well. Let me do it for just a moment. My wife is incredible. She wonders sometimes out loud how I came out of my family. I'm so different in so many different ways than the rest of my family. And she wonders how that happened. And the answer is her, honestly. She pushes, she prods, sometimes gently, sometimes not, for me to be better than I would be otherwise. She is a woman of noble character, and I praise her. Proverbs has wonderful things to say about women of noble character. But it has some pretty harsh things to say about women who are not of noble character. Wives who are nagging or quarrelsome kind of take the crosshairs of the book of Proverbs. In verse, I'm sorry, chapter 19 and chapter 27, a quarrelsome or, or nagging wife is likened to a constant dripping. Chapter 25, a quarrelsome or nagging wife is likened to a leaky roof on a rainy day. A, a leaky roof on a rainy day makes the house almost uninhabitable. And that's the image that we're meant to take from that. Almost impossible to live with an argumentative and nagging wife. Chapter 21. Better to live on the corner of your roof than in the house with a nagging wife. So pause here for a moment and sit with that. It means wives, you don't need to keep reminding your husband that you had a really nice crock pot until they broke it. Purely hypothetical. Or complain that the only thing on TV is baseball all the time. Again, purely hypothetical. I think it does mean that not every correction needs to be made. That not every thought needs to be articulated. And even more importantly, ladies, focus on character. That is a message you will not hear in magazines, TV, social media. There you're taught to focus on beauty. I don't read women's magazines, but I go through grocery store checkouts. It's about makeup tips and losing five pounds. Ladies, focus on being a woman of noble character, not of fleeting beauty. Social media teaches you to care about craftiness. Making cute things for your home. We have cute things all over our home, but that's not why I would praise my wife. Focus on character more than on the kitschy, cutesy, crafty home decor that you see all over Pinterest and Instagram. 
and radically countercultural, focus on character even more than you do your children. Focus on character even more than you do your children. Now, I want to stop and issue warning number one out of three. I've talked to husbands and wives now, and here's a gigantic warning. The book of Proverbs and the counsel to husband and the counsel to wives is a great tool for improving your own character, for improving your own service as a husband or service as a wife to the other. It is not intended to be a weapon for warfare. I issue this kind of warning when I do premarital counseling, when we do things about like the five love languages. It's great to evaluate how you love, how you are serving, not how the other is. It would be a horrible misapplication of the book of Proverbs and this wisdom literature to say, well, my husband doesn't treat me like the crown or the rare jewel, so I will nag him until he does. Or worse, my wife nags me and use that as an excuse to step out on her. Not intended to be a weapon, but a tool for your own improvement in your service to your spouse. Uh, the wisdom that Proverbs offers does not end with husbands and wives, but extends to parents as well. And central to the advice, the counsel that Proverbs gives to parents is to discipline your children. Proverbs 13, whoever spares the rod hates his child, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. I do believe allowances need to be made for cultural differences there. Even those who would support corporal punishment, and I would count myself among those, wouldn't advise you to take a rod to your child, but to administer discipline. Growing up, my mom didn't use a rod. Her favorite tool was a Hot Wheels racetrack. Those smart. My mom, when she loves to tell the story, my wife loves to hear the story. When I was a kid at the pediatrician, he noticed how, we'll say, strong-willed, defiant, I was, and he told my mom, you better get control of him. This kid is either going to be a mass murderer or the president of the United States. Now, you can all be thankful I am neither, but my parents did have to learn how to discipline and to do it without exasperating and crushing the spirit of a child. Ephesians 6 says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Be reasonable, discipline, yes, but don't be overly harsh. In my extended family, I saw what this looked like. Standards that floated all over the place. I remember going to one family member's house one time and they had thrown out all the TVs. Late, all the TVs. They were evil, they were wrong, shouldn't watch TV. Went back a month later and they were all back. The, the kids in that household didn't know where the standards were. 
and the discipline was overly harsh, disproportionate often, and the children were frustrated. Discipline, yes, but not to the point of exacerbating, wrong word, exasperating your children. Here's warning number two. Big flashing warning. I'm in a several different discussion boards on theology. I like to discuss theology. On one of those chat boards this past week, someone announced that they were having their first child and asked for advice on books to read about parenting. They got a lot of comments, lots of them. And virtually every recommendation was about discipline and how to discipline right. Discipline is important, but it is not the sum total of parenting. It is an important sliver of parenting. But your responsibilities as a parent go far beyond simply disciplining your children. It includes teaching and instruction. So Proverbs 22 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he was old, he will not depart from it teaching and instruction, setting your children on the right path, showing them what God's will is, teaching them about God. Discipline falls under that, but it's not the sum total of your responsibility of what you ought to teach or how you ought to teach your children. And reading that passage from Proverbs 22 leads me to my third big warning and final big warning. These are proverbs and need to be treated as proverbs, not airtight promises. They're general observances on what works, on how the world works, on how God works, not Loctite promises. I know many who've done all that they can to train their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And had them turn their back on the faith. It happens. And the corollary to my big warning that these are proverbs, not promises. So you could call it warning 3B. Is that you are not, you are not your child's sin. I know there was a time when my wife made me go pick up our kids from the nursery because she was afraid of what my kids might have said, because they learned a lot of bad phrases from me. I don't remember who it was, but I'm sure they're in this room. One time, one of my sons said, see ya, wouldn't want to be ya. I'm like, oh no. (laughs) Early on, I would have to own that kind of stuff and apologize. I don't apologize for my kids' parking tickets now. I don't take credit for all their good decisions, and I will not take blame for their bad ones. I am not my child's sin. I think some of us need to be reminded of that. So Proverbs offers important words to parents and also to children. 
I was tempted to define who children were and say, if you're still living under your parents' roof, if you're still on your parents' insurance, then this applies to you. But I want to extend it. I think it applies to all of us, even as grown children. Now, specifically, those of you who are in the room and are teenagers, I know your parents are idiots when it comes to technology. They can't figure out their phone. They don't know how to navigate social media. Don't extrapolate from that to that they don't know much about life. And I know things are different now, but they're more similar than they are different. Another piece of wisdom literature from Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. It might look to you like your parents' day and age and yours are radically different. Not so much. People are still people. When my son Caleb, who's my oldest, was 11, 12, 13, he went through this phase where we'd ask him about his day and how his friends were and, you know, if there any special girls or anything like that. And he, his constant refrain to us was, it's complicated, you wouldn't understand. Come on, dude. I was there once. I get it. So children, Proverbs tells you, advises you, to learn from your parents. It is maybe the most consistent advice you get in the book of Proverbs. You see it in chapter 1, in chapter 2, in chapter 3, in chapter 4, in chapter 5, in chapter 6, and in chapter 7. Without interruption, son, incline your ear to my words. Heed my words. Pay attention to my advice, my counsel, my teaching. Store it up. Don't forget it. Keep it. Take hold of it. And it will guard you. Part of that is don't despise correction. Don't despise correction. Your parents correct you, reprove you, reprimand you because they love you. Even as an adult, my dad had the ability to reprove me in a way that caused me to take notice. The discipline looked different. It wasn't discipline anymore. But it could sometimes be reprimand. And I needed to hear that. I needed to listen to it. Now, as I grew older, I understood that some, there was holes in my father's wisdom, just like there's holes in mine. And I took on the responsibility of kind of having to evaluate more. But I had to honor, had to honor my mother and my father and their wisdom it was hard-earned for them. Throughout Proverbs, we see counsel given to husbands, wives, parents, and children. Because family matters to God. Uh, my wife and kids aren't here in this service. They'll be in the next. And I have never before in my life been tempted to ask them not to come to a church service but they're going to be sitting right there. And they will be a very visible reminder of all of my failures as a father. Sometimes I don't discipline when I ought to, or I'm too harsh. 
my failures as a husband to treat her, my wife, as the wife of noble character, the gift from God that she is. So that'll be hard in the second service. But they're also a reminder of grace. Of grace. Because I know I failed. And God forgives. And so has my wife and my children. We've received grace from God. And it is required of us that we extend that grace to our husbands, to our wives, to our parents, and to our children. God cares about all of it, and God's grace is good enough to cover all of it as well. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so very thankful that in the complicated and utterly important work of being a family member, you haven't left us without direction. You've given us the goal to shoot for, to be husbands who cherish their wives and are faithful, to be wives who are of noble, good, excellent character, to be parents who train our children well, and to be children who honor and listen to our parents. You've given us the the goal to aim for, and you've given us the grace when we fail. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.